Oh my <laughs> gosh. <it's> <laughs> I, I would just want to warn Niels real quick that that camera on this, this that one? you won't see is also active. <laughs> So when you start like squinting at your screen, everyone is <laughs> there. I did that last time, right? Yeah. <laughs> which one am I supposed to be looking at? This one? You it seems look much at more that one or this one. Whatever you want to do. Which one? This is this one. That one up there. Okay. All right. So <laughs> talking about paranoia today. So this should take, uh, there's a lot of slides, but uh, hopefully we'll get through this in about 20 minutes or so uh, because we want to get to cases. Um, but uh, I'll leave plenty of time for questions both during and at the end, or comments, anything. I mean, this is a common uh, situation that we all come across. So here's some objectives of the, the lecture. Just understanding that paranoia is not just one thing. It's not like an on or off. Um, understand who might get paranoid symptoms. And then we'll talk about some advice on how best to approach people. There are no, it's not an exact science of what to say or not say, but there's some good guidelines that I think we could all follow. Okay, what is paranoia? So paranoia can be sometimes hard to define. For those who can't see the screen, this is just a picture of someone with binoculars sort of scared and looking through the, uh, the window. Pretty sure it happens to be somebody person. famous. Who is Someone. It? That's Mel Gibson. He's, I don't want to say what Mel Gibson. <laughs> okay, this I can't, can I get so I can see that? No, no, this yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to get that off the screen. Okay. <laughs> so this is a picture of the uh, this is a picture of the Muppets for those who can't see, and they're holding uh, knives and guns, and underneath it says paranoia, and they're also holding alcohol, and it says that unmistakable feeling that everyone is out to get you, and this actually is not a terrible working definition of paranoia. It is that feeling of not necessarily everyone getting uh, coming after you, but someone, someone often very specific trying to get you or a group of people trying to get you, but you feel the world is, uh, has nefarious uh, ends to you and they're, they're trying to get you and hurt you and uh, exploit you in some way. Uh, it's a terrible feeling. How do I? What happens when you want me to touch the screen? Here's another, uh, this, is a, this is a picture of Charles Manson, and there's a quote there that says, total paranoia is just total awareness. This is not a good definition of paranoia. He is not someone to look up to for uh, advice on psychiatric issues. Or anything, probably. Or anything. <laughs> Unless you want to learn how to run a cult and murder people. Yeah. But okay. we don't. No, nobody wants to learn that. Okay. Uh, so we're all a bit paranoid. Paranoia is, starts on a, it's on a continuum. So we all need to have some level of suspicion and paranoia to get through our day. Some people are more paranoid by nature. Some people are more paranoid because they develop an illness. Some people are more paranoid by training. I don't know if we could think of anybody, Matt, that might become paranoid by training. Are you referring to myself? <laughs> yeah. I'm think, referring to you. Yeah, I believe all of us in law enforcement become super hypervigilant because of our training. I think police work makes people vigilant and then to a point hypervigilant and almost, and at times, not paranoid, but along the spectrum of distrust. Uh, the, people who can be paranoid can feel like the world is full of salesmen and suspicious people. So it's just talking about this, but there's no clear dividing line between, okay, 
that's a normal healthy suspicion. Now you're getting a little too mistrustful. That's an unhealthy suspicion. Now you've got mild paranoid thinking, and yeah, now you're having full-on paranoid delusions. And even the delusions themselves can come in various uh, gradations of um, sort of uh, how bad they are. <laughs> that's a really fancy word I found there. <laughs> okay. Um, when I was looking into this lecture, I did a brief uh, review of some of the literature, and there was a study that showed that people with a tendency towards paranoia and mistrust, so paranoid, are, do better in organizations and more likely to be promoted. Um, and once promoted, people are more likely to become paranoid. So there are some advantages to being paranoid and mistrustful, which I found uh, disturbing. I mean, and if you take it to its logical, unfortunate conclusion, that's how you end up with a lot of dictators and, you know, tyrants and things like that nature. Is there? I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna pause to see if anybody has any questions or comments. <laughs> that was a quick Google search on YouTube. So if everybody who's not currently talking could mute your mic by hitting the mic button in the lower right hand, lower left hand corner of your screen. Dorian. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Some, some possible causes of paranoia. So realistic fears can be, that's sort of the cop version of paranoia. Psychiatric illness, substance abuse of people, especially things like meth, poisoning uh, can cause paranoia and psychiatric symptoms. Delirium, people sometimes can feel paranoid. Uh, Alzheimer's is probably one of the most common that we'll see it causing paranoia in the police department other than primary psychiatric. Tumors, infections, all sorts of terrible things can cause paranoia. These are really also just causes of psychosis. Um, so here's so paranoia is not just schizophrenia. A lot of people think, oh, schizophrenia. If you're paranoid, that means you're schizophrenic. No, it. it we see it very often in Alzheimer's disease, um, and we also see it in. in uh, you can see it in major depression. You can see it in bipolar very frequently. Bipolar will have sort of the grandiose paranoia. They're all out to get me because I have the magic formula that will do everything and save everybody. So that's a sort of grandiose paranoia. Uh, personality disorders, you know, paranoid personality disorder. They're constantly paranoid. Um, and then other things like anxiety and PTSD can cause um, paranoia. It's everybody's sort of, you're so vigilant that everybody's kind of out to get you. You're, you're, every creak and sound you hear is somebody trying to hurt you or get you. Okay. So now just we'll talk about, you know, how to interact with folks who are showing paranoia. Uh, first off, it's okay to ask questions and investigate. So if someone tells you that they just won $10 million, it's okay to just ask, you know, how'd you win it? What, when did you play the lottery? You just act, act as if what they're telling you is 100% true. All delusions are, to have a delusion, to have a paranoid delusion, it, it doesn't become a delusion until there's evidence that goes against it. So someone, some people do win the lottery, so it is possible. Um, if they, if they uh, won, they should be able to produce actual evidence. If they didn't win, 
and you say, hey, you know, I just looked in the paper and it looks like so-and-so down the street won last night. It wasn't you. And then they insist, no, it was me. That's an imposter. It's a whole hoax. Then it becomes a delusion. Delusions are beliefs that are held despite evidence. Okay. So just interview somebody like you're talking about any other complaint. Um, and then you can, while you're doing that, you can determine the level of paranoia. So as I was saying, paranoia is not an on-off switch. Um, so lack of insight is a very common term that we use. Like this person doesn't understand that they have a mental illness. Um, lack of insight is not a one-size-fits-all for everything complaint. Someone can be, I've had tons of patients who are, have schizophrenia and they believe the voices are from somebody else and that their paranoid belief about those voices are 100% real. And then I've had patients who the voices, oh yeah, that's my mind playing tricks on me and I don't believe those, but the delusions, those are real. And delusions, for the most part, are, you know, they have to be believed in order to be a delusion. But, for example, just this weekend, saw a patient and asked him, this is not an uncommon question that I ask, he believed the devil and, the, and God were fighting and he was caught in the middle. And I said, you know, is there any chance this isn't really happening, that it isn't really the devil that maybe it's your mind playing tricks on you? Said, no, no. I said, out of a 100% scale, you think there's a 1% chance that this could be um, your mind playing tricks on you. He said, not now. I said, so in the past, if you felt that, it's like, yeah, maybe in the past I felt that way. So that's a tiny inkling of insight. Um, and there's, it's something to hold on to. Okay. So look for other symptoms, especially anxiety driven by the delusions. So anxiety itself can cause uh, sort of paranoia but it can also cause, it's a two-way street. The anxiety can lead to paranoia and the paranoia can lead to more anxiety. So if someone's really being followed or chased, you say, gosh, that must be very scary for you. Uh, that must be awful for you. If you've been able to sleep, so you're looking for other symptoms, other problems in their life. If that were happening to me, I would feel, just put in whatever you think. This person's having aliens invade their brain and they're putting in chips into their brain and you can say, gosh, if that was happening to me, I would feel so vulnerable. I'd feel so helpless. Whatever words you want to use, and that really builds a bridge. Um, so continue to look for symptoms, gather info, and empathize. Must be awful. Uh, you've gotten, have you gotten so desperate that you don't feel like life is worth living? Are you thinking of hurting or killing yourself? That's a perfectly reasonable, gosh, if I felt like the, the mafia was out to kill me and torture my family at all moments, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't want to live anymore. You felt that way. Um, but do avoid, do avoid, that's great. Try to avoid affirming the person's paranoia. So what I mean by that is you don't play into it. You don't, and this is, we've talked about this before, but if someone says, oh, the aliens are putting things into my head, it's not playing into it to say, oh, can I see your head? Did you get a scar? Have you had a bump? But it is uh, playing into it and say, well, why don't we put uh, something on the ceiling and then maybe that'll block them out. Or, oh, that's good that you have that tinfoil helmet because that really must keep out the rays. Or, you know, at the hospital, they have a lead roof and that won't let the rays come through. And so let's go to the hospital. Those kind of things are not a good idea, generally speaking. They're always exceptions. But generally speaking, those are bad for many reasons. One, because 
I guess it sounds weird, is they can work in the short term. Hey, why don't we go over to my car? It's covered with anti, you know, uh, alien stuff, and it's been approved by the FBI to ward off aliens. And you put them in the car and you take them away. Um, it, it's it might work once, but then every single time after that, that person's going to distrust police even more. Uh, they're going to be even more wary and more paranoid, more angry because you did actually, in all reality, lie to them, uh, and that's never a good idea. And most most, uh, most cops never do that kind of stuff, but it, it's so tempting because it's a quick fix, and you're like, look, I did it, and it worked. But you're passing the baton to somebody else who's kind of getting screwed over by that choice that worked in the short term. Um, so just let them know that if they say, you don't believe me, that's always a classic. You don't believe me. You don't believe me. They say, you know, I, I don't see what you're seeing. I, I don't see the rays coming in. I don't hear the buzzing. I don't hear those voices. I don't see the taser pointed at your, the maser. When we have somebody with a maser pointed at their head. <laughs> um, and then if they keep insisting, you can say, you know, we just see things differently. You know, I, it, it doesn't matter whether I believe you or not it, at this point. It's really about your safety and, and making sure you're okay. Okay, this is just another quote. No, I don't think you're paranoid. I think you're the opposite of paranoid. I think you walk around with the insane delusion that people like you. And that's from Woody Allen. <laughs> you should use that when talking to people. This, this has nothing to do with the lecture. <laughs> okay, so you can also, I think it's important to look for a medical basis. The reason I picked this picture is because it's just so absurd. It's a, for those who can't see, it's a, to a patient and a doctor, and the doctor's leaning in, the patient's so happy and smiling, and they're holding hands. That doesn't happen in hospitals, really. <laughs> what? People aren't happy. If someone says, especially in a psychiatric hospital, like <laughs> this happened again over the weekend, someone says, I feel great, everything's wonderful, this is the best place ever. Like, okay, you're manic. You know, people don't say that if they're in a hospital. Uh, and they don't look super healthy, otherwise they wouldn't be in a hospital. So what I, it is important just to trust your gut. If someone is paranoid and delusional, and they also mentioned that they've been vomiting or uh, they're not able to form words very well or they mentioned they have a really bad headache that they've never had before. Yet that, those, are, those are symptoms of something possibly bigger and you should take that seriously. Um, and also we talked about this, but look for an anxiety basis. In my, this is now my experience only, in my experience, paranoia that is uh, primarily anxiety based is a little bit more amenable to um, sort of intervention in terms of insight and getting people on meds and doing things like that. If someone is, people with PTSD often have a lot of um, hypervigilance. They're always worried about being hurt or stalked or followed. Um, and it can get to the point where they do seem frankly delusional. Um, like there's people in the attic and I can hear them whispering. It's usually whispering, steps, shadows, those kind of things. Um, but not always. So th those kind of folks, you can try to you can reason with them often a little bit better because you know sometimes people have gone through a lot of trauma, and you could tell them this. You know, it sounds like you've been through a very traumatic life and or a very traumatic incident recently. It's normal for the body to go on alert and to really pick up on these things. Do you think there's a chance that some of these noises are just creaks in the floorboard? Or do you think some of those cars passing by have nothing to do? And generally, they'll say, yeah, well, maybe not all of them, maybe only nine out of 10 of them. And then you have a foot in the door. Well, how are you sleeping? How are you eating okay? Do you, don't you think it would be good to talk to a doctor about 
your sleep, about your anxiety, about whatever they might, your mood, whatever they might be willing to talk about. Okay, um, I think I just said this. So when people are being followed or watched, they get scared, they see danger everywhere. Do you think there are times when you might assume someone is following you when they're just a passerby? And I've had success with that over the years. And now always look for safety. That's, for those who can't see, that's an eyeball at very close range. And there's something being, I think, extracted out of it, like something that had been impaled into the eye and they're trying to remove it. Um, so <laughs> You could have warned. <laughs> yeah. Should I get trigger warnings before this? I'm sorry. Um, so look for safety. You know, oh, you're paranoid about these people following you. Have they ever tried to put something inside of you? Uh, did you ever try to remove something from you that you think they might have put in you? And we've had patients that dig out their eyes because of that reason, or cut off their testicles or other lovely things. Uh, how are you keeping yourself safe is always a great question. How are you keeping yourself safe? Do you have any weapons? That is James Bond, for those who don't know. He's got lots of guns in this. This is another one that happens not infrequently. Uh, do you feel like they put things in your uh, your walls or wires, bugs, they're trying to track you? Have you ever tried to dig these out? And that, oh, that doesn't happen infrequently. And that's enough to get admitted to a hospital. They're digging into their walls. They're not an electrician. They're going to die. Um, are they trying to control your thoughts? And that's important because there's some evidence that the, these command override hallucinations are, are more likely to lead to bad outcomes. Um, so some people will have, some people will hear a voice, I had one patient who hears a voice all the time saying, kill your mom, kill your mom, kill your mom. That's just his life. It's just an awful symptom he has. And I say, are you going to do that? No, never, never even considered it, just constantly in my head. Other people might have a voice that says, kill your mom, kill your mom, and they're scared and they're like, yeah, maybe I ought to do that. That's a much different thing. That's a sort of commando override. Okay, so this is another one you can always ask yourself when you're working with people with, you know, paranoid symptoms. Ask yourself, if this were happening to me, you know, I would put in security cameras. You can ask them, hey, have you thought about putting in cameras? Are you doing this? How much is it controlling and consuming their lives? Confront your neighbors. Look for the stalker. Stop eating. That's another thing. Are they trying to poison you? Are they trying to hurt you in that way? And if they stop eating and losing weight, that's another reason to get people in the hospital. And you can even ask them, you can even tell them that, God, if that were happening to me and I thought people were poisoning me, I might stop eating. All right, have you done that? And they may say, yeah, no, I haven't eaten in a week. Or they might say, no, I only eat packaged food and I'm okay. Reverse stalking. I'm going to let Matt talk about reverse stalking <laughs> since he coined that term. Reverse it's stalking? Happening. It's happening. <laughs> Base stalking? Uh, reverse stalking, I've always just said it because we'll get cases and we'll do follow-up with people. And exactly what Doc was saying, we'll say, well, what are you doing to protect yourself? Or, or one of the, the tips that Niels gave me, instead of just blowing people off, is, is you got to prove that it's not real first. So, oh, you're being stalked. What information do you have? And then we're able to show, okay, this is not actual crime. And then you can work with the person. You know, before I can go any further in this investigation, we need to make sure you get uh, treatment. But a lot that we found with people that are really paranoid is they begin almost reverse stalking. So either who they think's following them and be it like there's a woman who kept saying, white SUVs are following me, white SUVs. I'm like, okay, well, what have you done about that? So as she drives and sees a white SUV, she turns around and follows it. And so she was following people like to the store and to their homes. And I'm not sure about elsewhere, but here in Albuquerque, that's not a smart idea to do. 
Yeah. Um, we are a very gun-friendly city, and everybody likes to have their guns here. And road rage is, is not uncommon. And then we had a guy, too, that whatever delusion he had, he tied it back to uh, his neighbor that was from, like, 12 years ago. And so some stuff started happening in his life, and he was blaming it to this neighbor. So he, like, went online, got all this information on, on the neighbor, and then started going and literally, like, doing stakeouts at this neighbor's house to prove that this guy was going out in the middle of the night and he was filming him and stuff. But this guy was just a, some random neighbor that he had that he never talked to. It was like 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. So this is things to show that these are dangerous behaviors. I mean, if you were just going up to any kind of stranger, I mean, imagine if you were driving around and someone's following you, you're going to probably stop and approach them, especially if people are showing up at your house. It's very unsafe and it's very dangerous. And, and, and we've gotten people in the hospital yeah. based on that. Yeah, and I think it's a lot more common than we realize. So that's a good, it's a good concept just to have in your head. I have a quick question about that. Yes. This is Karen. Um, when that reverse stalking behavior happens, um, are the people there then stalking, noticing, and calling sometimes. the police? Yeah, or like, Because that yeah. seems dangerous for both parties. Right. No, it is. If they're good enough to stalk a specific person, Otherwise, they're stalking like a car or a, a description. So yeah, sometimes they complain, sometimes they don't. Sometimes the neighborhood complains. This person is following every car that looks like this. You know that kind of thing. Because the one where the guy was targeting his neighbor, his neighbor would call a lot too. It's like this guy's just sitting down my block again. What can we do? And it, it was interesting. Yeah. It was odd. His brother just requested me on LinkedIn, which is very odd. <laughs> <laughs> but the other one that we talk about, and I just remember that woman we were asking, and she was following the SUVs. We're like, well, what happened when they got into the house? And she was like, oh, they came out of the car and were yelling at me. She's in that, that she was saying, like, see, they were stalking me. They were mad at me. We're like, well, don't you think if you followed someone or someone followed you to your house that you would be upset? And she was using it to almost validate some of the paranoia. So, this just says uh, there's a um, look for collateral symptoms. Auditory hallucinations often go along with delusions, not always, and vice versa. And they sometimes reinforce. So avoid arguing with the person. Now, arguments can get very, very subtle. This is just two children pointing, kind of not being nice to each other, I guess. Um, this is an important point. I know everybody knows it, but I need to remind myself of this because I argue with patients too. And it can be a very subtle trap that you sometimes don't even realize you're getting into. Um, well, how could they, you know, it happens with dementia, dementia right. patients, we have this a lot. Well, you know, you said that they stole all your stuff and they said that they stole this, but it's right here. I see it. You know, it's good to test their reality uh, and how much they're delusional. But once it crosses a line from sort of testing and probing to like arguing, uh, it gets bad. And you can feel it very quickly uh, devolving. Uh, help the person feel safer and more comfortable. So whenever you're able to, try to make them feel more comfortable if it, if it doesn't compromise your safety. So offer some food or water, you know, uh, have them sit down, whatever it takes to change the environment to make it less frightening. So if someone says, hey, you know, I'm afraid that the, the neighbors are peering in the window, and say, hey, well, why don't we move in the back room and talk there? Make them feel a little bit more at ease. Whatever, whatever this thing that they're complaining about, you don't have to buy into it. You don't have to believe it. But you say, would you feel more comfortable over here? Would you feel more comfortable if we did that? And that can just help 
show a lot of respect and also can help with the interview because they're not as worried, hopefully. Um, so for people who are a little less paranoid and have some insight, uh, you can, one, help people maintain a more positive uh, state of mind. There's evidence that cognitive behavioral therapy can help with schizophrenia. And these are just those, this is just an example. That's sort of don't believe what you think. So just because you think they're out to get you doesn't mean it's true. So here's a quote that you, you know, everyone is too busy worrying about themselves to think about me. That's someone who's learned a technique, you know, everybody's worried, everybody's thinking about me, everybody's plotting against me. And some therapist got hold of them and said, you know, in a nice way, you know, other people have their own lives and it's not all just about you. Um, you know, every time you're scared, it doesn't mean you're in real danger. Whatever kind of mantras that they can develop and that you can help them with, that you have to be pretty good at being able to pull something like that off. Um, this is true for everyone. Um, encourage the person to focus their energy on areas of their life that are more productive. So someone might be paranoid, and unless you're talking about that paranoia, you wouldn't know. They're like having a pretty decent life, and you're chit-chatting, you're shooting the breeze, and later you touch on this, and you scratch on their paranoia, and then they just derail, and they come apart. You know, there is some truth to say, if, it, if this makes you derail, why put all your energy into it? Instead of spending all day after work, you know, plotting how to stay uh, your revenge, why don't you go volunteer at the Boys and Girls Club? I don't know. Um, and recognize where the person is doing well and encourage them to keep doing those things. And that's it. <laughs>